four years ago, Tom. You're a Laker fan. You covered the Lakers. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Kobe going off for 60? It was the kidney stone offense, as Phil Jackson used to call it. Kobe refusing to pass. (laughs) The people who put out this bullshit on social media, encouraging everybody that it's not as bad as we thought, what they're doing is they're narrow casting to their audience who buy into this bullshit, want more of it, so they can retweet it and share it with their ignorant friends. Anything you watch after Ozark is going to be a little bit disappointing. That's the only thing I found I find disappointing about zero 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 is that I just got done watching Ozark. <laughs> so it's hard going into this art gallery after I just walked out of the Van Gogh Museum, but it's still really great. I just finished zero 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 on Amazon, Amazon Prime or Amazon Video, Amazon. And it's about the drug cartel. It's about who makes the drugs, who ships the drugs, and who buys the drugs. So just remember that that little triangle. Oh, and don't forget this triangle, JT, because this is why I'm so happy you told me about it. I'm in the middle of episode three. Uh, I just finished episode three. Uh, the Wi-Fi went out last night, and so I had about 20 minutes left to watch this morning. So it's it's the chaos that ensues, and it's between New Orleans and the shipping, Mexico with with the Coke, and Italy. So the three settings they have, and those aren't just the three settings. They're also out in Timbuktu. That's not sarcasm. They actually go to Timbuktu, which is in the middle of Mali, in the middle of the desert. Just look up Timbuktu sometimes in Wikipedia. It used to be a trading post a thousand years ago and it's just uh, the, the the locations english spanish some local uh, calabrian italian. language uh, italian wolof uh which is what they speak in somewhere in africa where they are uh french and arabic all those languages going on and the chaos that ensues and sometimes the social discomfort religious discomfort Islamic extremist discomfort. Oh, it's got everything. Oh, God. And that's, happy, that's three episodes so far. I'm loving it. I'm happy I turned you on to it because oh. it was so good. It's it's really violent. And for whatever reason, if you watch Narcos, you'll like this. If you liked Ozark, which had a lot to do with drugs and moving drugs oh. and Ozarks, <laughs> you'll like this a lot. But what I like the most about it, again, I'm just fascinated because we're both fans of Mexico. We yes. both like Mexico. Yes. A matter of fact, before the pandemic, we were going to, my wife and I, as I'm hosting in my wife's walk-in closet, (laughs) my wife and I were going to shadow my son as he went to Cabo with some friends for spring break. Oh, right, right. We weren't going to let him go, but we were going to go and take a much-needed break, and we were going to stay at a resort. And you you were going to make sure you were in the same city. Yeah, that was a good idea. Yeah. But, you know, you're a fan of Mexico like I am. Oh, my God. Just shocked at the violence of the cartels and how violent they are moving drugs in these smaller from Tijuana all the way down to wherever it is, a small village. And they Monterey, they're in Monterey, Mexico. Yeah. Where where they film a lot of this and the brutality. And when you think about it think about Emilio Zapata over the years and the great Mexican warriors and the Aztecs, and the Mayas and how brutal they are. You know, you saw, what was the movie Azteca? Was that the one where they're, you know, they were rolling heads down pyramids and stuff. So they do have 
a, a just a, a long tradition of being vicious warriors, uh, people from that part of the world. And in the Mexican drug wars are an extension of that into modern times. So that part is fascinating. The scenes in Italy going on and the hiding spots they have are fascinating some of these drug lords and movers and shakers and the way they have to live on the nervous nelly way they have to leave their lives it's got to be miserable and new orleans is always interesting because new orleans is a part of american culture that's an oddball you know we don't have many french cities in america yeah we have one new orleans this great french spanish unique city that's different from every other city and state in America, New Orleans, Louisiana. So mixing all these ingredients in, and I love boats. And you know, you've got barges in the middle of the ocean that are that have drama as they're shipping uh, the drugs. And you just, boy, did you find me the perfect thing to follow up Ozark with. Now, nothing will ever for a while isn't going to be as good as Ozark. Anything you watch after Ozark is going to be a little bit disappointing. That's the only thing I found I find disappointing about zero 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 is that I just got done watching Ozark. <laughs> so it's hard going into this art gallery after I just walked out of the Van Gogh Museum, but it's still really great. Do I have enough time? Of course I do. It's our podcast. Yes. Do I have enough time for a movie review? Absolutely. You know, if your movie review is better than the rest of the podcast, I can always cut and paste to put it right in the beginning. I've done it before. What do you what you say? I saw Parasite, the Academy oh, Award-winning Parasite. You mocked it. You mocked it. Yes, without seeing it, you mocked it. I want to hear your review. Let me tell you, one of the few times ever I gave it four out of five bricks. Whoa. I mean, it's five out of five bricks are my all-time favorites. Raging Bull, Godfather, okay. Platoon, Platoon, maybe my all-time favorite. I gave Parasite the high honor of four out of five bricks this thriller this movie that my wife the other night was on hulu she decided you got to see this movie i go yeah i didn't want to see it why because the subtitles i thought it was a foreign language film that should have won in the foreign language category right congratulations to parasite it was great it blew me away i loved the movie the twist and plot turns were incredible Yes, I was there for two hours and 12 minutes of reading subtitles, and I didn't have a problem with it. It had everything. I highly recommend if anybody missed it. I'm, I'm ashamed that I love movies so much and I missed it. I was thrilled by Parasite. Yeah, and I will tell you, I remember after seeing Motorcycle Diaries, which I, was just a terrific film, probably about 10 years ago. Motorcycle Diaries, and probably about a three-hour film, all in Spanish. and. Uh, about six months later, I didn't remember whether it was in English or Spanish because it was such a great movie. If you see a great movie that happens to be in another language, at first, the idea of watching a foreign language film, people say, ah, I got to read subtitles. But great art is great art. And if you see a great movie that's got subtitles, you'll forget about the subtitles after time goes on. You'll just know you saw a great movie. The JT and Looney Podcast, episode 33, looking live from Vegas and Hollywood simultaneously. 
Well, we can do a cheap podcast on the favorite 33 numbers of all time, like some people are mailing in. And I opened up with Larry Bird. I opened up with Larry Bird at 33. Oh, really? Wow, yeah. the great 33s of all time. Tony Dorsett pops up in my mind. I don't know why, but that's the first thing that pops up in my mind. The great Denver Bronco, by the way, Tony Dorsett. Uh, <laughs> just like Tom Brady. Yeah, just like Tom Brady will be the great. Nobody's going to say he was the great Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Nobody's going to say Michael Jordan was the great wizard. And few will ever say Tony Dorsett was the great Denver Bronco. What did we do without Google? As, so, as soon as we brought that up, Larry Bird came in at number one for the 33s. And how right. dare you? How dare you, Tom Looney? <laughs> Apologize, please. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Football always comes first in my mind when it comes to sports, probably because I played football, as you know, a Pop Warner superstar in Elmira. New York's Masons, as if Elmira isn't small enough. Elmira actually has an Elmira Heights. And uh, when I, when you stop playing football, which was my last game, my senior year in high school, as it is for most boys, and I didn't realize the moment because my mother was out of town and the party was going to be at my house. So I didn't even have a sense of nostalgia. I didn't take two seconds to breathe in and breathe out and say, this is my last football game ever. No, I had to get to the beer to my house. <laughs> And my God, when you're such an idiot when you're kids. So everything goes back to football for me. I should have said Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but my mind is wired football, football, football. Well, how about some other 33s? And Scottie Pippen, my okay. favorite NBA player of all time, Patrick Ewing, my guy, was ah. 33 with the Knickerbockers along with Frank Robinson, a great baseball player. And, and, and I just and the first that up. African-American manager in modern Major League Baseball long before our time. And the great Mike Piazza and Tony Dorsett was a rounding out. He was at number eight on the list that I'm looking at with Patrick Wah. If you're a hockey fan, you know it's Wah. It's not Roy. It's Wah. And uh, get that one Good right. job. I can say things on the podcast that I can't say on the radio in Vegas right. or on Mad Dog on Sirius XM where I have a lot of freedom to say at both platforms whatever I want. But I've had a rough week here because of these New York numbers. And as we begin the podcast, as I come to this microphone in my wife's walk-in bedroom closet in <laughs> Summerlin, Nevada, uh, we are over 23,100 dead in the United States for COVID-19. And if we go back, which I'm sure Looney will do, he's the podcaster editor-in-chief. Mm -hmm. And look at the numbers over the past couple of weeks. It's something that I wanted to include early in the podcast so we could look back in years to come and remember that we were trying to keep the podcast going during the pandemic. And I'm upset because I don't like the media coverage of the people that are on their podcast or on radio and are just trying to give us all this good news, which we need good news. We need to know about the number right. of the curve flattening. We need to know about the amount of less people checking into hospitals, which we're going to get. Or the little girl or the old lady who recovered. Those good news stories are nice, but no bullshit. No bullshit. And yeah. the fact that some people are using this moment in media, sports, radio, media, any type of media, to try to become the experts or try to be the portal for people to get information when it comes to the virus. And I wanted to spend some time in this particular podcast to make sure that you don't encourage people to follow those people 
you don't give those people credit and you don't follow these people or encourage them to do more of this because so many people have been wrong. Well, what is this? What do you define as this? What are they doing? What are you talking about? People who are now looking at the numbers and quoting the numbers and you have two different groups. You have the people saying, well, it was supposed to be 100,000 dead or 240,000 dead. And look at this cycle. And this model said this. And then people are tying that into politics, saying that the number 23,000 is actually good because it's lesser than what we expected a week or two ago. None of these numbers are good. None of these right. numbers need to be talked about by people who don't know what they're talking about, but feel like they have to open up their freaking mouth and give you their opinion on the number. Again, we're both from New York. Looney, you're from Elmira. I'm from Massapequa, right. Long Island. Over Easter Sunday, I did a Zoom cast with my family that is mostly in New York, my parents in Naples, Florida. And we were going back and forth, and I talked to my cousin in uh, Westchester County. She was up there talking about some numbers that were pretty frightening. And then I talked to one of my best friends earlier today who works at UPS in Long Island. And he lost three of his co-workers in the past 48 hours. Wow. And, and it really hit me because I felt for my friend who was really hurting. And he called me because he just needed to talk to someone. So I just don't like the people who are politicizing this. And they're taking these numbers and they're going like it's Vegas. And they're betting on a season win total for the Buffalo Bills. And the win total is seven. Well, hey, Bills were great. And they went over the win total. Hey, they were disappointed. And they were under. Stop it. Stop looking at these numbers and giving me your opinion on if you think the number is good enough because Carl Anthony Towns lost his mother today, yeah. the great basketball player. And I don't think that he wants to hear that any of our listeners believe that the numbers are encouraging or better than expected. Just lay off trying to sit here and handicap these COVID-19 numbers. It's really bothering me. And one thing I think people mix up with freedom of speech and democracy, et cetera, is believing that a crappy, uninformed opinion is equal to an informed opinion from a doctor. <laughs> and those two things are not equal. They both have the right to say it, but really we have to listen to doctors. This is the time, you know, and I say this does go back to a problem where we politicized science over global warming and other issues and started to paint the media as having an agenda and scientists as having an agenda. Don't listen to the news. And now we depend on the news and scientists and doctors. And a lot of kids, or a lot of people were getting messages from talk show hosts and sports mm -hmm. talk show hosts and people with no qualifications about things like science and how to digest news over the years where they were just fed bullshit about that. And now we really depend on the people who are providing us with the page one reporters and the scientists and the doctors to provide us with the information to keep us alive. And we need to keep politics out of it. Imagine being a sports talk radio host or a celebrity, an actor, whatever it is. And I'll stick with sports. Opening up your broadcast, encouraged about the numbers, giving your opinion, and doing this two or three weeks ago, and completely having the wrong information, whiffing on it, and then three weeks later having to change the story, what I really meant was this or that, just shut up. 
No one cares about what you think is encouraging or not. We care about, and other people might disagree and say, well, listen, I tune into my guy or my gal on TV because I want their opinion on this. Well, no, no. Journalists and talk show hosts and people are supposed to provide the experts that come on the broadcast and then they give their opinions. And then after they give their opinions, you go, yeah, that's pretty encouraging. I had an interview with Chris Spielman. What a great, great guy. The former four-time All-Pro for the Detroit Lions, and he played for several teams in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills. He was a two-time All-American at Ohio State, and now he's a broadcaster on Fox. And every time I interview him, something special happens because his first wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she fought really hard to survive. And during her battle, she was able to have a vision for a breast cancer hospital in Ohio, and Chris spent all his time with her trying to help save her, and they were bringing up a young family, a lot of kids. She passed away, unfortunately. Chris ended up getting remarried years later. And I talked to him about the fact that he's selling off, selling off his memorabilia, his helmets, his game-worn jerseys, for just people who need money for groceries. And he's putting it on Right. You know, he's putting it on the web and he was telling me about this and about his faith and how important this was. And I was like, Chris, and this is the memorabilia of your life. And he says, JT, he goes, my freshman year at Ohio State, we won the Rose Bowl. And he goes, I had that ring on the mantle for decades and it does nothing for me anymore. And someone wanted it. Someone wanted it in an auction and I could use that money to buy groceries. I'd rather hear those stories than someone explaining to me. Man, the president was really right about this. Numbers are lower than expected. Or this guy was wrong because his numbers were way off. I'm just really frustrated, man, because I'm talking to New Yorkers. I'm talking to people where 10,000 lives have been lost, uh, triple 9-11 numbers, and the rest of the country is like, hey, some people are saying it's not that bad, but we are. We don't know what quarter we're in. If people want to make yeah. a sports analogy, people are looking up at score of these uh, death totals like a score about what somebody predicted a few weeks ago or a few months ago and taking a look at what the score is now. Well, we don't know what quarter it is. Are we in the first? That's the scary thing. Are we in the first quarter, the second quarter? And I worry about, and this isn't just a Trump thing, no matter who it is, uh, from Trump right on down. It's like the boy in the backseat of the car and you're driving to Disney World from Buffalo, New York. And then you get to Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, and he says, are we there yet? Then you get to Maryland. He says, are we there yet? Then you get to Delaware. He says, are we there yet? North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? People rushing to try to get the economy started, get people out mingling again, get things back to normal. Sports, asking sports questions. What, what's the first league you think will come back? And it seems so silly right now to talk about any of that. And now you, you've got a job as a sports talk show host. I do understand when it's someone's job to do that. But for the rest of us, none of that stuff matters. We don't know what quarter we're in in this game. And we got to be careful because the uh, what what Trump said was right. This is the most important decision he's ever going to have to make. And that is when he decides to say we need to try to get to back to normal. And hopefully he'll be good and patient about that because we need to be. We need to be really patient. I know everybody is worried about economics and their jobs, et cetera, but it's going to affect everybody. It doesn't matter, rich, poor, black, white, Latino, Asian, trans, straight, gay, 
male or female, uh, everybody's going to be affected equally on this in a very sad way. And we need to be patient. I'm, I'm just fascinated by people who a month ago thought that just a few hundred people would die from this or a few thousand people. Now, as we said, we're over 23,000 and they have to go back and they have to justify what they meant. Just stay out of the prediction business. And my wife, to paraphrase or stay that you were wrong, like Dr. Drew did, JK. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Drew went online and said, oh, my God, I blew it. I was wrong. I joined the wrong chorus. And now I got to go help. That's what a man does. My wife made a pretty good point, and I'll paraphrase. She said, the people that are putting this false information out know that they have an audience that will gravitate to this false information. And I thought that was a really good point because we've come through this world now where it's about social media likes. How many people like you on Twitter? How many retweets right. do you get? What do you say? And I've lived in a world over the last three or four years where Twitter has now started to dominate sports radio. It used to be that radio was really good or not so good, and you would judge the radio. Now you're not judging the radio anymore. You're judging something completely smaller, tiny compared to the broadcast medium of your voice going out on a radio and being out there for people to listen over and over or live. We're looking at the tweets and what gets retweeted, and some people are encouraged with the negativity but the positivity they believe they get with their increased social media following. So the people who put out this bullshit on social media, encouraging everybody that it's not as bad as we thought, what they're doing is they're narrow casting to their audience who buy into this bullshit, want more of it so they can retweet it and share it with their ignorant friends and so on and so on and so on. And I got to the point this week as Malcolm Gladwell would say, maybe the tipping point for me, mm -hmm. because I've been emotional. I'm going through this like everybody, self-quarantining, going to work, doing what I have to do. And I've just had enough of it. It bothers, it bothers me when I watch Governor Cuomo give a heartfelt, you know, speech every day about the mm -hmm. New York numbers and what's happening, or 60 minutes on a Sunday night doing a, a feature on New York hospitals. And then I'm watching people in Tennessee or Alaska or Albuquerque going out with their own agenda on why they think the information on mainstream television from other voices were wrong. And it pisses me off. Yeah. And taking shots at New York as though it's a part of a different country. Uh, like after the election, when people talked about the election numbers and said, oh, well, all those extra millions that Hillary got, that was just California as though it was another country. Uh, it's all one. These are people in our country that are dying. And yes, the focus now is on where uh, the numbers are spiking in, in New York. But you want instead of just saying the media and blaming the media for covering a story, that's how you do It's what you do. It's, it's the story. Sooner or later, you don't want that story to be in McMinnville, Tennessee. You don't want your own city to be the hot spot because you just thought it was other people. This doesn't affect just other people. And that's sometimes when situations like this happen and you think, well, this doesn't involve me. Sooner or later, it might if you're not careful and you don't listen to the right information. And you're right about that. If it bleeds, it leads has always been uh, the theory in news, but also unfortunately on social media, if you tweet out, or have an Instagram account that mostly concentrates on kindness 
you're not going to get as many likes and you're not going to get as many retweets. Uh, but if you do focus in on the grassy knoll and the conspiracy and our measles shots affecting our kids and causing autism and getting your news from uh, non-credible sources like Facebook. I didn't even know anyone got news from Facebook until the 2016 election because all I ever saw was hot fudge Sundays and children playing the piano. And I guess that's the nice people and relatives that I follow. I never saw anything. I did have a cousin, a young cousin who, who used to, post Facebook crap about don't vaccinate your kids. <laughs> she was one of those people because she never had consumed news in her life and she was in her 20s and she was getting crap from Facebook. But I didn't know so many people were getting political information from bad sources like Facebook when we have so many quality sources to choose from. Remember, this podcast cares about Facebook's stock price. <laughs> not the news um, uh, you, you you mention that every time i make my facebook slash hot fudge sunday picture joke i don't like to break out the 9-11 card but i'm gonna write here because i think it's important i've said this for years and most people get it if you're not a new yorker if you weren't in new york or have any relatives or friends that died in new york on 9-11 you weren't affected anywhere near the people who are deeply affected because right. they lost loved ones on 9-11. That makes complete sense to me. Now, for some people, that doesn't mean that you were hurt badly by 9-11, no matter where you lived. But if you didn't lose someone in one of those two towers or you didn't have a friend who was a police officer or emergency worker who died years later due to the effects of that or anything. Well, you put quite simply, JT, watching it on TV is different. Having yeah. suffered through it on television is different than someone like you who suffered in a, in a much different way. And it comes back to the coronavirus again, is the, um, the the mass amount. New York now, unfortunately, on the scorecard, New York leads the world when it comes to a specific area hit the hardest. And New York suffered 9-11. So it's very raw to people back there. It's very raw to New Yorkers. And for everybody else spinning it their own individual way, because they want to get the economy going again, like I do. They want to get sports going like I do. Continue those conversations, but just make sure you have respect for the people who are dying at the alarming rate that they're dying in New York and the top hotspots. This doesn't happen. Sports radio in the media doesn't have the influence that it has in the United States. The way you don't see this in Madrid, you don't hear about this on talk radio in Milan. Or anything like this, but you hear about it in New York and you hear about it in the United States. And I just think a lot of people are getting under my skin. I'm not going to be a name caller here. I think people understand what I'm talking about. And I just hope people back off. I hope we have more encouraging news in the weeks to come. But you've never heard me once say, man, Tom, if we if we can hold this number under 75,000 dead, that's a really good number. If, if we can hold this under you know, six figures. If we can hold this under 100,000 dead, this is a great victory for us and a political response. I would never go there. I think it's so abrasive. It's so ignorant. And many people are doing that. And it's so ageist in many cases. People are saying, well, most of the people who are dying were old and had another issue anyway. Well, yeah, but who, if you're going to die at 80, but, but the coronavirus takes you out in 70, that, that sucks. That's 10 years of life that old people are missing out on. 
uh, the ageist way that people are looking at this, saying it doesn't affect me. And I did a story yesterday. Uh, I'm an anchorman at KBC in Los Angeles, my other job. And I did a story on a 25-year-old woman from Los Angeles, young, silly person who was making fun of the coronavirus, telling coronavirus jokes. Then she found herself in a coma on a ventilator because she the coronavirus hit her and affected her that deeply. And she was in and out of a coma. Now she's bounced back and she's out of it. And I had some sound from her, and maybe we'll include it in the podcast, mm-hmm. talking about this is no joke. Uh, and it was it was profound because she wasn't the typical person. And we've all seen those stories right now. Anybody paying attention has seen the guy that was, just finished a marathon two months ago that's dead now from the coronavirus. So it's not just taking out people with existing conditions, or some like to say pre-existing conditions, which is there's no such word, but people with existing conditions uh, still shouldn't be, you know, we still we have to be just as vigilant about this because we also don't know. It's not like the flu. We can't get the flu from just touching each other the same way. It's not so easy to get the flu. And every time and go to the same hospital in the same city uh, when the flu happens. This is scary. And people need to take it seriously. And I think for the most part, when I look around, people are. And what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks since the virus has become such a huge topic was the first, I think it was two weeks ago I was upset. I called them the dummies in the park, the yoga, the moms right. with yoga pants yep. that were going to the park. So I've been keeping an eye on that. And, oh, you've been you the know, hallway monitor there in Las Vegas. How's it going? I was called a snitcher. Also yeah, I did that too. I mean, everyone turns people, to people says I'm a snitcher <laughs> because what people don't realize is the video or the pictures that I take when I'm snitching, they're not in the park. They're outside the park. I live in a place in Summerlin, right. Nevada, where we have like a beautiful central park right across the street from my house outside, you know, not too far, about a two minute walk. So when I don't walk in the park, I walk outside the park. So right. my iPhone can take great close up pictures from the moms with yoga pants in the park and that calmed down. But right before yeah. I came in with you to host this podcast, I, my wife took our dog outside the park. And I said, how'd the park look? And she goes, oh, terrible. It's right back to where it was. And wow. again, because our weather is so good in Vegas, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about, that it's like Maui here in Vegas. We're up to close to 80 degrees. Everybody wants to get outside, and everybody's going to where they feel the most comfortable outside. People don't feel comfortable walking into back neighborhoods where they don't know and no one is. People right. don't feel comfortable walking into an area where they've never been before. People are comfortable walking along Zuma Beach until you close the beaches. They were comfortable walking in Central Park until you closed it, until you started locking parking lots, which we saw early was going to be really important. And until you started taking down rims from basketball courts and taking down the nets at volleyball courts, some people got it and said, oh, I guess they don't want me here because I can't shoot hoops, there's no right. rims, and I can't play volleyball or bocce ball because they roped off the court, Tom. Well, I'm surprised to hear that from you, although I do follow a comedian who's uh, a friend from the gym who's not that funny, and oh, my God, it's such an annoying follow on Instagram, but I don't want to unfollow because I don't want to hurt his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but he was out walking his dog, 
And he was talking about how beautiful it was in Vegas. And I'm not seeing the same in Los Angeles. It's fascinating to me. In Los Angeles, everyone seems pretty paranoid and is observing any latest moratorium they have or any any latest uh, new fangled law or whatever you want to call it when they pass an ordinance uh, to cover your mouth. That, that went into effect Friday morning. Mm -hmm. I went to mail a letter at the post office on Friday morning. I mean, all I had to do was walk in, stick it in the slot, and walk out. I like I liked mailing it from the post office. Gave me an excuse to get out and drive a mile. And uh, when I walked in, I, did, I was the only one without a mask. There was a line. There was a guy yelling at me. It had been the law 10 minutes, right? <laughs> I got some guy screaming at me for not having a mask. So, so I, I won't forget now. But so that's the good news there. There was one person in the post office. There was probably 20 people in there who didn't have a mask. And it was me. I was there six seconds. But uh, for the most part, that's what I'm seeing walking around L.A. or driving around L.A., which I haven't been driving much. That same that same three quarters of a gallon that I had three weeks ago, I still have in my car. And so that's how odd it is in L.A. People are being very respectful. And what's interesting is. You know, when I, all these years, I, at some point I thought, you know, in broadcasting, it would probably be a really steady job to be a traffic reporter. And a lot of people would think for me and the career I've had, that would be a step down. But I thought, no, that would be guaranteed work. I end up being a news reporter now and the traffic people have nothing to say. Traffic would not have been a good dovetail for me for my career because right now there's no traffic. And some stations aren't carrying traffic, and that's very difficult for the companies that provide it right now. So there are there are jobs that are in peril, at least temporarily, that you thought would be secure forever. And we've got a feel for those people. Well, that's a big part about what's happening and as we wrap up this version of the coronavirus in this podcast, is that the economy, you look at the dates and you look at the markets, and I look at it by every 15 days. So mm -hmm. April 15th, will they open up? the economy, and they won't open up the entire economy, but open it up slowly on the first of the month, which is May 1st. And if they don't do it May 1st, will they do it May 15th or that right. Monday in the beginning of the week? That's all going to happen here soon. There's going to be political pressure. There's going to be pressure through all forms of this economy, everything from the auto industry to tech to whatever it is, restaurants, yeah, businesses. CEOs in ivory towers who, are, who aren't near any germs are going to say, let's yeah. open everything. And it's going to be the fight between them and the people who have to go to work. And that's going to be tough because I believe in opening up the economy responsibly. I think it's going to be really important. But I'm going to look at the hot spots. And as long as New York is really hot and people are dying at the alarming rate that they are, and those doctors and nurses and emergency workers and everyone who's walking into those hospitals and putting their life on the line, as long as those numbers are still enormous, I'm going to make sure that I'm very guarded with my comments on opening up the economy or when sports is going to come back. And I hope more people follow that and well, just stop yeah. guessing because the guessing is pissing me off. And there's a couple of Ivy League schools in New York, right? That would be Fordham. And there's another with Columbia. There are two in New York. So let's use this as an example and bring it to sports. And that would be about opening up a sports economy. Do you think that by September that Fordham and Columbia will be able to field a football team? No, there's no Ivy League football. They're, they're right in the eye of the storm. And so think about that we, when you had Brett McMichael on as a guest. We played the sound here during our last podcast. You had him on last week. He's the guy that broke the Ohio State story with Urban Meyer and the mm -hmm. assistant coach and the wife beating, et cetera. 
he made a point that doesn't get out of my head. You went to college, Geneseo State. I went to Penn State. You've been in the dorms where you shove boys, especially who don't clean up after themselves into small spaces where they burp, farts, knees, uh, get high and touch the same doorknobs and don't wash the dishes or their hands. And you're going to put all these kids into dorms, especially boys into dorms at USC. Oh, and bring in all the international students all from all over the world, like China and Italy to your school by September. If you can't have kids in a dorm and you're only going to have school online, that means no football. And you're not going to have any international students. That's a lot of money for university. I, I think when it comes to college sports, you might not see any until at least January 2021 for the reasons I just mentioned. I would agree with you. Let's have fun. And the Lakers close out Kobe Bryant's career with a win and one of the great farewell performances in any sport at any time authored by one of the NBA's all-time greats Kobe Bryant 60 points. Mike Chirico with the call there on the American Broadcasting Company better known by their gangster name ABC. Four-year anniversary to the day Kobe Bryant scores 60 points in his last ever NBA game. As we hit record on this podcast, Vanessa Bryant, Kobe's widow, says, quote, my husband worked his ass off for 20 years, gave it his all. All he wanted was to spend time with our girls and to make up for lost time. He wanted to be there for every single milestone and special moment in our girl's life. So she's talking about it. There's more and more about it. I think this is something I can remember us talking about this four years ago, Tom. You're a Laker fan. You covered the Lakers. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Kobe going off for 60? Well, that was just such a great night, and it was so Kobe-esque. It was the kidney stone offense, as Phil Jackson used to call it, Kobe refusing to pass. <laughs> and that's what it was, and it really was, and especially the Kobe haters. You know, you found an opportunity to find something negative, found an opportunity to make fun of the wart on Lincoln's face rather than enjoying Lincoln and his brilliance. Same thing with Kobe. Remember when he scored 81 and people were talking about the lack of assists <laughs> in that game. And in this game, as he ignored all those bums that he played with and just had a good time. And really, I think, especially in that game, above all, one of the reasons why I think he scored 60 and now with the precious wisdom of 2020 hindsight and finding so much, uh, finding out so much more about his family life due to his tragic death. And that is, I think he really wanted to show off for his girls where he's been. And, you know, the girl, all the kids came out to see what dad did for a living. Yeah, they did. And conceptually, they might have seen it. But to see it in its greatest glory in one of his greatest games, have it be his last game, was just so much fun for all of us. A, a great nostalgic game because you didn't think he was capable of it. The Lakers were awful that year. He wasn't playing very often, and it was one of the – I well, it's got to be the greatest final game of any athlete that old ever. No, and I'll get to that momentarily. It is not. Okay, so oh, really? that's the myth. Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm going to get to it. I am armed and ready for this podcast. Uh, first of all, I went back and looked at the columns that came out four years ago. That okay. is – really the power of Google. Mike Bresnahan of the LA Times, he put out 
an article on the, the day after Kobe's performance. And it was just great to look back at how chaotic it was. That was the 1,556 box score for Kobe Bryant. Okay, his last one, he was wow. 22 of 50. 22 of 50. Uh, the Lakers won the game, which mattered. Uh, he went out on top. He was 37. That was the final game of his 20-year career where he won five championships, 18 all-star game appearances. And what was so unique about that game was Kobe had a lot to do with the preparation for it. First off, he only let only wanted Magic Johnson to speak. So Magic spoke briefly before the start of the game, which was incredible. It was a high moment for Magic Johnson, who spoke before the game. Uh, Magic said, quote, Kobe Bryant has never cheated the game. He has never cheated us as fans. He has played hurt, and we have five championship banners to show for it. When you think about this town for the last 20 years, this man has been the biggest and greatest celebrity we had. He's the greatest ever to wear the purple and gold. Ooh. Tom, that was the biggest moment, I believe, in Magic's post-life as a Laker, because he was there for Bird's retirement, remember, and he took off the sweat jacket. He had a Celtic jersey on. He always knew how to play up and, yeah, and yeah, do that. Great. He just great at that. But what a moment. What a moment for someone I believe, and you believe, or Kareem or Magic, who's the greatest Laker? Jerry West was unbelievable. On that night, before Kobe passed away, tragically, Magic on the record said that Kobe was the greatest Laker of all time. And that what's, that's what makes Magic one of the greatest politicians of all time. So selfless. Uh, that's Because you know, Magic was probably the greatest, if not the greatest basketball player of all time, the greatest Laker and the most the shiniest star. And he was always positive and... And uh, he wasn't as radioactive as Kobe was at times over his career. So to give that compliment to Kobe on Kobe's the night of Kobe's final game was also just incredibly generous on on Magic's part because you know that's always debatable. That's just an opinion. But to give it to someone other than yourself, that's the kind of guy he was. He was always you could always depend on Magic Johnson for a great assist. And that's exactly what he did at that moment for Kobe. Four years ago, 450 to 500 media credentials. Think of that for a second for a regular season game. Think of that number. Uh, the rappers were out. Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube. Kanye with Kim, who were booed, according to the L.A. Times. Taylor Swift. And then it was the players. And this is where it gets really bizarre to me. The players that came out. His former teammates, Robert Ory, Rick Fox, Lamar Odom, Derek Fisher, others, including Adam Morrison, other teammates who showed <laughs> up. But check this out. Shaquille O'Neal was there. And as you know, Shaq made it clear when Kobe's helicopter crashed that he hadn't, I think, talked, let alone seen Kobe since that night. Yep. Four years ago, Tom, that floored me when Shaq admitted to that. I thought they'd run into each other. They'd be at all-star games, Shaq spinning music, Kobe's at an all-star game party. No, that was the last time that Shaq ever saw Kobe alive. Yeah, they didn't get along, newsflash. And even when they, you know, when they tried to fix things, they fixed things and they were diplomatic with each other. And I think one of the reasons why Shaq sat there and wept on television 
was for the same reason it ha it's happened to people in relationships throughout life in general is when you have a falling out with somebody uh, and you're being uh, you're being grudgy and you don't want them dead and then if they die when when things aren't going very well during your relationship and you've never really fully patched it up it's devastating sometimes more than for a person who might have been close to that person so that was what Shaquille O'Neal was going through when you saw him weeping on TV upon Kobe's death, but it wasn't a surprise to me. There was some angst there, and they tried to make it better, and they were both good diplomats, and they TV specials talking nice to each other, but it didn't surprise me that Shaq wasn't part of it, and because, because you watched over the years. Kobe was the guy that called Shaq. You know, Shaq was a king. And Kobe would, at practice and behind closed doors, say, hey, hey, Emperor, you have no clothes. You're lazy. Because <laughs> one thing Kobe wasn't was lazy, and he could spot other people who didn't, who didn't compete to the best of their ability. And he had no patience for that, which means he would have no patience for most of us. It was a special night. Uh, Vanessa and Kobe got rings, big diamond rings. Huge diamonds from the five championships and 20 smaller diamonds around the five big ones. So the Lakers and Jeannie Buss, good time to mention Jeannie again, who you recently went to a game with. Yes. Uh, Jeannie was very kind in the Laker organization, giving Kobe and Vanessa two fat, big, gorgeous, looked like a world championship ring. That was a special night in L.A. And then Kobe delivered by dropping 60 in front of his kids and his kids uniquely didn't get a chance to see him in the highlight portion of his championship no. career, but we're there to see that performance. Why did Vanessa get a ring? I don't know. I, yeah, I don't I'm, know about I'm that. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm not, not going to go there. So, on okay. <laughs> but I will go back at you on the top. Uh, so the Bleacher Report put out the top eight greatest NBA oh. finale games. Yeah, of all let's time. get to the part because you said okay. you disagreed with me and you haven't said that yet. Okay. Yes, good. and I'll tell you why. So you let, me that set, let me set you up with this because I think oh, you'll right. get this. Okay, so they and I agree with this. Bleacher report, top eight games ever in last game. So Dirk oh, okay. at number eight. Dirk at number eight dropped 20 and 10. Uh Dirk's been a great player and he went out with a big game. John Havlicek of the Celtics had 29 points and nine dimes in his last game. When he when he left, when he exited the league, he was the all-time leader in games played. So John Havlicek, legendary Celtic. Dwayne Wade comes in at number six with his triple-double. You remember that, Tom, because Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron found his way to that game, and his former teammates showed up, and Dwayne Wade he had, had a triple in his last game. With... In his last game. Okay, all right. It was, yeah, that. it was unbelievable. Wade traveled to time to record his first triple double since 2011 wow. in the game 25 points, 10 assists, 11 rebounds. Uh, Reggie Miller played his last game. He had 27 points on 16 shots. Hall what a stud. He comes in at what, number five now? Are we at number five? He, he, yeah, he comes in at number okay. five. Now, this is where we're going to get you at number four. David Robinson, who scored 71 points at one point in his career, last game he ever played was game six of the NBA Finals when he beat my Knickerbockers in that game, had a really good game at the age of 37. He had 13 points. He had 17 rebounds. He blocked two shots. 
but he won an NBA title. It was a championship game. He never played again. And so he comes in at number four. Okay, you, you, so far, you've mm-hmm. given me six little appetizers. You've given me okay. six, six stale, okay. six stale uh, potato skins so far. Come on, let's bring some okay. meat. So okay. Bleacher Report at number three <laughs> comes in Kobe 60. Oh, Kobe number 60. three. Oh, that comes God. in at number three. At number two, former Laker Wilt Chamberlain. In his last game, which was a loss, he lost in the 1973 NBA Finals to my Knickerbockers, the last, the last great moment of my uh, Knicks career. Uh, Will played all 48 minutes, and he had 23 points, 21 rebounds. That was the last game he ever played. That's, and, so that, that's better than Kobe's 60? Yes. Oh, and please. finally, drum roll please, the last oh. great NBA game ever played in a finale. Bill Russell, 21 rebounds and a ring, beating your Lakers in the legendary Game 7 of the 1969 NBA Finals. Ready for this? He played all 48 minutes, 21 rebounds, 6 assists. He beat the legendary Lakers, Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, on their court and never played again. He went out with his 11th ring. That's more important than Kobe's 60 in his final game. Oh, my God, you're insane. So so those two guys beating up. I would say 90% of the NBA, back when Bill Russell was having that great last game and Wilt Chamberlain was having that great last game, wouldn't even make a team. They wouldn't even make the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, my God. God, the NBA was so full of of bums back in the 1970s, especially the the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, but the point, the hint you didn't get was just like John Elway. John Elway's greatest game wasn't his last game, but his last game, he won a Super Bowl. Right? right, so he won those right. Super Bowls, so he went out on top. That's why you want to go out on top. But yeah, we're celebrating Kobe's sixty because <laughs> you know we're celebrating it because oh, they were it was looking incredible. for a way not to make Kobe number one. That's what they were doing, well, and they Kobe had to dig back deep into last century to find something that doesn't even qualify anyway. This is absolutely crazy. Thanks for listening to the JT and Looney podcast. JTandLooney.com. Give it a review. Share it. And we just love talking to you via the podcast. Boom. I sent you an email and make sure you get it. I sent you a couple. I don't know if I sent it to Looney on Fox or Tom Looney, but it had Kobe sound bites that were great. Oh, I did get it. I did. I got the email. Yep. I got the, I got the MP3s as we say in the business. Throw that in there. And thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.